0: Hi there, and a very warm welcome to season four, episode two of People's Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here.
1: Because I think one of the things that uh, we really thought was important in this book was including the compassion component into act and some people may say it's like the seventh process but i also see it and how debbie and i explained it is really the first chapter is about laying the foundation the ground like if you're a gardener making the soil really rich so that something can grow in it and compassion and the flow of compassion in combination with intentional use of your time and self-care sets the foundation of the book
0: hey supers thanks for tuning in this week it's part two of my chat with dr diana hill Psychologist, act expert, podcast legend, and author. People Soup is an award-winning podcast where we share evidence-based behavioral science in a way that is practical, accessible, and fun, to nourish your mind to flourish at work. We cover loads more in our chat. We discuss Diana's book that she co-wrote with Debbie Sorensen, the ACT Daily Journal. We talk more about hermit crabs, perspective-taking, compassion, and how we're living in a culture that is overstimulating our competitive drive and also our sense of self. Listen on to hear more about the process of co-writing a book, and there's a fabulous takeaway for these turbulent times. In other news, reviews are in for part one of my chat with Diana. Over on Facebook, Becky Quick said, Another brilliant conversation, Ross. I felt deep resonance with Diana and her weaving of these beautiful spiritual and psychological threads together. Can't wait for part two. Jamie Otterson said, Thanks for sharing this. Richard Coates said, Excellent weekend listening ahead. And Annette Shaw said, This is fantastic, Ross. I've spread the word and shared a link in my coaching community. I've joined your merry band of People PeopleSoupers. Well, Annette, you are more than welcome, and thanks to everyone who listened, subscribed, followed, rated or reviewed the episode. As part of Season 4, I'll shortly be inviting you to the movies. There'll be more news very soon, but I'm proud to let you know that People Soup will be sponsoring a screening of the documentary Work Songs by filmmaker Mark Street in collaboration with Argo Pictures. Work Songs is a kaleidoscopic portrait of the United States at work. There are interviews with cab drivers, longshore women, a farmer, a barista and others discuss threats from automation, the gig economy and the decline of the unions. I found the film to be absolutely captivating so I wanted to share it with you in a special people soup screening. More details very soon folks. If you do enjoy the podcast I'd love it if you would subscribe, follow, rate and review it. Whatever platform you're on it helps us amplify our voice and reach more people with stuff that could be useful. If there's an episode you particularly like, why not drop some change into our virtual tip jar? Every £3 is most gratefully received, and you can find the jar over at kofi.com slash peoplesoup. And a big shout out to Fiona Murray, our most recent sponsor. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part two of my conversation with Diana Hill. So Diana, I want to turn to the book, the book that you've co-authored and it's called the ACT Daily Journal, Get Unstuck and Live Fully with Acceptance and Commitment Therapy alongside Dr. Debbie Sorensen. And I'd like to start with my review because I've been a lucky boy. I've been fortunate enough to see a copy of the book. And if I may, I will share my review. Fantastic. So five stars, absolute kudos to Diana and Debbie. This book is an absolute delight. It takes the reader on a journey, which has a beautiful flow and structure and the placement and presentation of the science and the exercises is enormously skilled and insightful. A standout feature for me is the stories that you and Debbie share from your own lives, which really builds that connection it made it both personal and relatable for me. And it's written in such a way that it helps the reader recognize the complexity of our own human existence and gives us practical steps that we can take to develop our own psychological flexibility. Awesome work. And I'd like to finish my review with a quote from the book, which is one of those stories from you, Diana. And it just it just spoke to me so much. I just wanted to share it with the pea soup as my listeners so let me just have a look i've always been afraid of falling as a kid i wouldn't climb trees and never made it past the bonnie slope skiing in yoga i conveniently step out to use the bathroom when it's time for headstands and i learned that falling is part of committed action in an act workshop kelly wilson stood wobbling in a yoga tree pose and said What if falling were part of the pose? Falling on purpose was radically freeing for me. If I fell on purpose, it meant I could try all sorts of things, surfing, a podcast, homeschooling, starting new friendships. Today, committing to falling on purpose opens my life to fresh opportunities. So I'm so grateful that you and Debbie have written this book, Diana. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you. What a incredibly kind and thoughtful review. It made me tear up a little bit, Ross. I, we haven't, you know, it's sort of interesting when you put something out there like this, there's so much of the potential for the inner critic and the, what were we thinking? And what are other people thinking? And, and I appreciate you reading that falling on purpose comment, because it's so true that I'm, I'm incredibly harm avoidant. and probably one of the most psychologically inflexible people that I know. And, and I think that's probably why I'm also drawn to act or to writing a book like this, because it's very much a path of how do I unpack this for myself so that I can then also help my clients or the people that I'm working with apply it in their lives.
0: Mm. Wow. Yeah. And it, it really did touch me that, that story. That's, that's why I chose that quote, because I've, I've enjoyed the book enormously, and it's been a real privilege to have that advanced sight of it. So I'm really excited. So when does it come out? It
1: comes out May 1st, uh, and we, I actually have a, a little offering now. If people order it through my website, they can get a workshop of Act With Compassion that I do a free workshop of using act with the compassion because I think one of the things that uh, we really felt was important in this book was including the compassion component into act and Some people may say it's like the seventh process, but I also see it in how Debbie and I explained it is really the first chapter is about laying the foundation, the ground. Like if you're a gardener making the soil really rich so that something can grow in it and compassion and the flow of compassion in combination with intentional use of your time and self-care sets the foundation of the book. And from there, we go into the six core processes of ACT and we do it in a way that's, like using the story but also breaking the process down so that even someone that's an experienced, I mean you're a very experienced act practitioner and what I would what I would hope is that even a very experienced act practitioner could get something out of this but then they could hand it to their client that has no experience and they would get something out of it too mm-hmm. and so it's it's a place where We get to try these skills on on a daily basis and with practice and that's what we know about behavioral psychology. How do we learn things? We learn things through regular practice. Learning is done best when it's connected to some kind of emotional content and personal you know content through more through story you know when you work with kids you work you you teach them through story right and so using the emotional content and the story aspect uh, in the book was very important for for learning and then the actual practice experiential practice and writing components of it so that really you're not just a lot of times i'll i'll read an act book and i'll that's what i'll do it would be this passive process of reading an act book it's sort of like how i sometimes you would learn in school and nothing would stick, but actually doing it is a way to begin to embody the the processes so that you really become more psychologically flexible in the different domains of your life.
0: Mm. And I kind of have this this vision because I think it's what I've been looking for because quite often I'll go into an organization, I'm I'm a freelancer, I go into an organization and I'll deliver an act based program. I'll also bring in compassion focused therapy. I'm obsessed with bringing compassion into organizations and showing the, there's there's, there's more research emerging about showing the business benefits of compassion and and using that as a persuader and linking it to things like psychological safety in the workplace. I digress. But I go in and I, I deliver maybe a three or four session act program. And then I leave. And I might not see those people again. And I'd love to leave them with something where they could chart their progress and continue to evolve their own practice. Because the reason I deliver a session over three or four workshops is so we get that chance for behavioral rehearsal and practice and going away, coming, oh, I've tried this and it worked like this or I forgot to do anything. So we get people more accustomed to that skill of noticing and practicing using some of the techniques and the tools, but to have something afterwards that would be like, create this kind of tale mm-hmm. for their experience, I think it would be something quite magical for them. And as well as being magical, it would be really practical.
1: Yeah, and it's a reference book too, right? So a lot of times we're like giving this fire hose of information of all these, you know, when you're an experienced ACT practitioner, it, they flow. It's like, oh yeah, the six core processes, I can name them off on my fingers, blah, 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 blah. But when you're, I do remember what it was like to learn act and and this sort of like grinding quality to it of like, oh, I can't remember which is which and our heads get too heady, right? But but I do think it's helpful to have that reference manual that you can go back to and be like, okay, what is, what is what are they meaning by perspective taking? Because perspective taking has many aspects to it. It's, it's the ability to take perspective on your own self stories but it's also the ability to step back into a more sort of broader spacious uh, place where you start to feel more interconnected and and you can start to take perspective on yourself from different angles but then you can also practice empathy and take perspective of others so there's a lot that's packed into just this one core process of perspective taking. And when in something like the Act Daily Journal, we we build that out and we break it down into bite-sized pieces so that you can see, okay, it's not it's not quite so simple. Even though it is simple, it's some of it isn't simple. So I think that would be fantastic. And I love Act You know, it's interesting because in in writing the journal, I felt like my hands were tied a little bit because I'm such a verbal teacher and I'm probably like you, Ross, like I love to be in a space teaching, doing exercises, really physicalizing uh, these processes. So for example, with perspective taking, I might have people take their hands and make them into two O's and you could do this now with me. Take your hands and put them into two O's Mm -hmm. and then you put the O's right over your eyes like you're wearing goggles and these goggles are are often our self stories, our beliefs about who we are and who other people are. And if you look around, you kind of move your head from side to side, you can see how your periphery vision is really limited and your view is really limited, right? So with perspective taking, we do there's two steps to it. The first is moving our hands away from our face and taking a look at our hands. And seeing that we have a little bit more room, like, okay, this is a story, and I can start to identify maybe my right hand is the I'm not good enough story, and my left hand is the I'm better than you story, and we can hold both. Yeah, <laughs> We're so, such, so interesting. I can believe that I'm not good enough, and at the same time believe that I'm better than, right? So we can have these self stories that are limiting. And then the first step is just noticing that, like, wow, okay, I can take perspective on this as a story. And then the second step is, I want you to take those hands and keeping your focus forward, slowly separate your hands and move your hands to the side as if you're slowly peeling away and opening and notice your brain's tendency to wanna choose a hand to focus on, but just keep your attention forward as if you're expanding and opening your awareness all the way to a more panoramic view so that your hands come all the way to the side and you can see in the corners of your eyes, your hands, but really you're focusing your mind forward and then you can even drop your hands and keep that spacious panoramic view so that now you have a fuller perspective on you, on your story, but also one that is interconnected and that's really a 360 perspective because you can feel it expands all the way behind your back and all the way around the room. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's the power of something that's so simple, like perspective taking. Now, that's hard to write in a book, So, I don't always do exercises like that. But but then once you've once you've felt that in a workshop with you, Ross, and I'm sure you have really cool stuff that you do with people, once you felt it in the workshop and then you go home and you have the book, you can start to say, "Okay, yeah, that's what perspective taking is. It's that that's that expansive awareness where I'm I'm interconnected and bigger than the small me that I get caught up in." And oh yeah, here I am, goggles on. I'm only seeing, you know, you you you're in a fight with your partner with a friend with your mom with your dad with your kid you know what you're doing goggles on (laughs) you know and so you can feel that feeling well this is when my goggles are on that i'm caught up in a self story and now i also know the feeling of what it's like to be not caught up in the self story even though the self story is there i didn't cut your hands off i didn't strap them behind your back i just gave you a little bit more room to take perspective on yourself and your life and then with that room and that openness, we have more flexibility to move about the world. We see with a little bit more clarity and we move more freely, which is really what psychological flexibility is all about.
0: I love that. That was such a powerful exercise. I did it along with Diana there and it was just like beautiful, right? I'm, I'm having that exercise. I can't wait to use that with, with leaders, for example.
1: Yeah, yeah. And giving credit to it It's an exercise that I actually learned from a meditation teacher that teaches Tibetan Buddhist principles so it's it's a teaching of stepping into and she didn't do goggle eyes and self-story and all of that because that's all diana's you know spin on it but what she did do is stepping into an open spacious awareness which is very much part of uh tibetan buddhism and some of the the higher level tibetan teachings and that's what a lot of people say about act is like wait a minute this is all familiar (laughs) I've heard this before. This is Gestalt. No, this is Tibetan Buddhism. No, this is whatever, you know, but, but really it's because that process is something that we as humans actually evolutionarily are designed to do. So we're designed to do both, to have a self, to focus on, hands forward, here's my plan, I'm getting, this is how I'm gonna get food tonight, this is how I'm gonna take care of my kids, this is how I'm gonna get my resources, how I'm gonna stay safe, right? Evolutionarily, we have a mind that's focused in that narrowed attention. And that's all about safety and drive. And if you go to compassion-focused therapy, safety, drive, this is Gilbert's work around the brain systems of motion regulation. Now, we are also designed to have a panoramic view to be looking at the horizon, which actually neuroscience is showing that looking at the horizon makes activates allocentric parts of your brain. We're, we're designed to look at the horizon. We're designed, designed to have our eyes open and be curious. When I interviewed Judd Brewer, he talked about opening your eyes wide activates a feeling of curiosity and openness that is actually uh, more interconnected and it kind of can help you get out of habit loops like anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So we're designed to be interconnected species because we are highly, highly social species that need to look at the horizon and need to know who's around, who are our helpers, who is part of my community because I'm completely interdependent upon my community. And that has not changed, but what has changed is that we live in a culture that is overstimulating our competitive drive as, as Gilbert has said many, many, many times, but we also live in a culture that is overstimulating the sense of self. And so when I mentioned earlier, I've been so resistant to social media. Why? Because that is part of the sense of self, the me, the self-promotion. Every time I'm, you know, we're on a Zoom meeting, there's me that I'm looking at with you. I have two of me, Ross. <laughs> Not only just me, there's two of me, and then there's me. I'm so sick of me. It's disgusting, right? But so we st- overstimulate this sense of me and the self, and we need more practices that help us look at really how interconnected we are and interdependent we are. And that, in part, is what is going to not only heal our relationships, but also heal our planet. Because a lot of the struggles that our, our planet has is because of this inability to see the ecosystems that we humans are part of a larger ecosystem and we're all interdependent and we all impact each other and, and there there is no independence as much as we want to believe that we are independent and that we have a certain number of followers or whatever and mm. that makes us <laughs> have value mm. yeah So that's just my little shtick on perspective-taking, but I think that 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 one skill, you can see how you could unpack it in so many different ways across so many different domains Mm. of your life and find it helpful.
0: I've I've got a vision of uh, what any organization I work with, of sitting with an executive committee, the leaders of an organization, and just inviting them to do that
1: and noticing
0: that they can't see everyone around the table when they do that no, and noticing how those, those, those stories about themselves might be impacting the way they show up in that meeting.
1: Yeah, yeah, so the right hand might be a story about you and the left hand might be a story about them. Mm. And not only does it limit you from seeing your periphery or feeling connected to somebody else, right? It also is really unsatisfying. It doesn't feel good to live in a life that has a narrowed perspective and view. it it, it may feel safe And and I love Gilbert's example of sort of the man on the porch may feel, quote, he's seeking safety, Mm. but he doesn't feel safeness, which is, I would add, the man on the porch with his dog. The man on the porch with his dog feels safeness. He doesn't need guns. He's he's relaxed. The dog's in the sun, right? But so a lot of times our attempts, and this is where sort of I think compassion-focused therapy maps onto ACT, is that our attempts to seek safety or our drive that threat system and that drive system actually what they end up doing is make us feel less safe and make us feel more hyper competitive and more alone and it becomes an emotional avoidance cycle so our striving and our doing and our drive is the modern day emotional avoidance you'll talk to lots of highly successful people you'll talk to them and what you'll actually will find is that they actually don't feel content, even though they have a tremendous amount of drive. And that when they don't feel content, they go to drive to seek content, a feeling of satisfaction. Mm. And it becomes a cyclic modern day samsara. So I don't feel good, I don't feel content, I don't feel connected. So I'm gonna work really, really hard so that I can get myself you know, bigger, better, more famous more money more power more whatever and then i get there and it's like the hungry ghost situation with the ghost with the you know the narrow neck and the big belly i feel hungrier even though i've done all this stuff and so then okay maybe i just need to do more and that i think is an experiential avoidance loop that one of the things that act can do is help us begin to identify first i'm caught in this loop and it's a lot easier to say i'm caught in the loop of drinking too much or not you know restrictive eating or you know those ones are like act has got a good handle on but actually to say actually our drive and strive is an experiential avoidance loop too what am i avoiding by overdoing doing too much striving trying to be a somebody what am i avoiding what feelings am i avoiding and actually how can i open up and expand and allow for that to be there and identify what would be a values rich loop to engage in instead that actually really gives me what i'm longing for which is belonging connection a feeling of enoughness a feeling of safeness Mm -hmm. and i that's more of what i'm interested in my own life and interested in helping my clients get to especially in modern day cycles
0: Mm -hmm. of striving and Thinking about presenting act to the workplace, do you have any particular ways you find your way in with either presenting as, as a potential coach or therapist? Do you find a particular way that resonates or is it different for each client?
1: I usually use story to Mm. to present so you know to take at the beginning of today's show we talked about the hermit crab story so that's just a metaphor that came to me a hermit crab story and you know sort of the example of the the hermit crab that is you could be a hermit crab that either has your pinchers out all the time when when you feel threatened or you can be a hermit crab that's inside your shell all the time when you feel threatened and usually people relate to one of those (laughs) you know like and how does that work for your relationships right or you can be a hermit crab that isn't so attached to the shell that you're in because you know that over the course of your lifetime it's going to change you're going to move shells when this one no longer fits you can have an inner knowing that it's not fitting for you and you can move and it's actually in that move i got so geeked out on hermit crabs that actually youtubed What does it look like when a hermit crab moves from one shell to the next? Because what they do is they outgrow their shells. And when they outgrow them, they find another shell that fits. And they're just borrowing them from some mollusk that left it behind, right? Mm -hmm. So what does it actually look like when that hermit crab moves from one shell to the next? And they're completely exposed and vulnerable. They have this little blob of a body that they pull out of their shell and plop into the next one. It takes a lot of courage and vulnerability to to move. I mean, that's the falling on purpose, right? To, to move when a shell is no longer working for you into one that does. And also trust, like deep trust in that if you are more flexible, you're not stuck. So you're not going to get stuck anywhere. You can just flexibly move again. You can find another mm. shell if this one doesn't fit. And also, you're not alone in it. Look around. There's lots of other people that are pulling out of this shell and moving into that shell. and And you're part of it. So I think that, you know, in working with someone like in a workplace, I may pick a a metaphor that, you know, whatever that fits for them. But it's about using story and and relating to what are sort of the the real human struggle that that we all feel. Mm -hmm. And that there is alternative ways to address our lives so that we can actually feel more fulfilled, we can feel more connected. We can feel more like we're living in line with who we wanna be in the world and really have this sort of like an exhale of not having to try so hard at this thing of being human, just letting ourselves be human. And when we do that, we're better leaders in the workplace because what we invite our employees to do is to do the same. And what we know about psychological flexibility in the workplace from the beautiful research of Stephen Hayes is that the more psychologically flexible both the leader and the work environment, the better performance of the employees. It maps onto performance in, in, in the workplace. And our brains don't wanna believe that, hmm. but the research shows it. And sometimes the research can disprove what our, our brains say. You know, we think we seem to be more controlling, but that doesn't actually pan out in terms of the research.
0: Mm. It just feels like ACT and CFT have so much to offer in this leadership sphere, if we yeah. can find the right way in. And I, I agree. I think the right way in is often via beautiful stories like the hermit crab. I think I'm now going to become obsessed with hermit crabs, too. I think we might start a sort of movement. Oh,
1: they're so cute. I spent some time watching one on, uh, like a whole bunch of them on the beach. Ones. have some have broken shells. Some have beautiful, you know, elegant shells. But, but they're not attached to it. Mm. It's just gonna change, right? You're in the shell that you're in right now, and it's gonna change. If COVID taught us anything, it's like, oh, don't get so attached to things. <laughs> it's gonna. You need to be able to adapt. You need to be able to be flexible. You need to know where you are right now. Like, get present what's important to you in the here and now and be willing and mm. open to the possibility of change and i think this this concept of of striving and and also paul gilbert's work around it's not our fault because our brains are designed to do that to seek resources to compete and our brains are designed to connect and so it's it's which part you know how do you want to choose the the connecting brain and, and be able to have with ACT, it's about choice, it's about freedom to choose. That's what Benji Schoendorf, when I interviewed on the show, that the major takeaway I took from him was about freedom to choose. And it doesn't really matter what you choose, but when you feel free to choose and you get to choose based on your values, that is just incredibly liberating feeling so when we're when our life is dictated by striving or by shoulds or by rules or by this you know artificial drive i mean we're we're teaching our kids at six years old you got to sit in a chair and you got to listen to the teacher and you got to you know even if you have a body that wants to move around a lot keep your body still right Mm -hmm. and then we're telling our adults you better move around a lot don't sit around in chairs so much that's killing you (laughs) so (laughs) i don't know who's right there but it doesn't really matter what if you were to listen in and and figure out like my body wants my body wants to move my body needs to stay close to the ground I need to you know this is what's important to me and that's and that we have freedom to do that and freedom to choose.
0: Thank you. And I'm curious. I've got this real curiosity about writing a book
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the process of writing the book, particularly as your co-authors. Can you give me any insights on how how that works? and how that was what what that process was like for you both
1: well we're co-authors we were friends first podcasters second Mm. co-authors third and we were writing about psychological flexibility as working moms during covid and therapists during covid so (laughs) there's a little bit more (laughs) on that in terms of there's a couple of things about the process of writing you know this was my first book so I have a lot to learn but one of the very the thing that I learned more than anything was about friendship and about community and the way I am so blessed to have Debbie as my friend first because what Debbie offered me and what I offered her was permission to take the time that you need to take when you need it and I'll pick up the slack because luckily, we both didn't fall apart at the same time, we just fell apart at different times. <laughs> and so I would be falling apart and I'd go back to insomnia, I had a period of time, this is like the worst sleep hygiene you can imagine where I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd have like all these ideas and I would go right. And then I'd go back to bed and it was making me sick. I mean, I just like, that's not, that's not going to do well for you long-term. And so I was in, you know, in that space of like, okay, whoa, I have to, I need to pause and step back and practice what I preach here. Where is my compassionate action? Where is my self-care? Hey, Debbie, can you help me out with this? And really, I'm a big believer in, I am not, I am not any different from the person reading this book and that I need this as much as you do. And that's why I'm writing it and so it's from a lived experience for both of us of how psychological flexibility plays out in our own lives and then also just the differences between us because debbie is just delightfully debbie she's like super relaxed and she'll take a deadline to the last minute i think it's late if it's not two weeks early you know so so we are just this beautiful yin-yang for each other in a lot of different ways and really see the beauty in each other's process and so for me it was about friendship it was about learning that my way is not the highway it was learning that under stress and pressure and a lot of demands we need to learn how to distribute the load and that there are people that can help and that we don't have to do it all ourselves and then also this practice of falling on purpose of just throw it at the wall and see what sticks you know it, it it's in the end of the day if it's a flop it's a flop it doesn't really you know it's just a shell and there's another one i'll just move into that one so a lot about you know letting go and impermanence and and i feel good about it i feel good about what we wrote and And I hope that it's helpful to people.
0: Undoubtedly. I don't understand the world of marketing and getting a book out there, but it's a book that deserves to be read. I I wholeheartedly believe that. And I'm really excited for its publication. Now, Diana, would you have a, a, a takeaway for our listeners? You've already given us several but i wonder if there's one that you could leave them with just to reflect on particularly if it's something with a kind of workplace theme
1: yeah you know i think i'll add in yoga so the workplace theme is that whenever i do a balance pose i always teach people to ground their feet first grow roots and so as we're moving into times of instability and change sometimes I think people misinterpret act as just like throw yourself out there you know like and, I, and yes it's it's both it's both effort and surrender right so it's ground yourself in the things that you know are grounding to you and especially when you know that you're gonna be in a place where you're gonna get knocked around a little bit and you're gonna be exposed and you're moving from one hermit crab shell to the next that's the time to say okay what is it which relationships are supportive to me, which health behaviors, what are, what are the things, like if it's certain music that you listen to, find your ground, find your roots, and make sure that you're rooting in that. And then from there, once we're rooted, then we can slowly move into the full expression of the pose. The, so the full expression of the pose is both rooting down while lifting up and the lifting up is an opening of the heart, is what matters to you about moving into this change? Why do you want to move into the change? What are the the deep values? What are the reasons? Who and what is important to you? And when we use that as opposed to the goggle eyes and shoulds of I need to do this, then we have more of that freedom to choose. So you root down in the things that feel like, I guess it's building your compassionate mind and then you open your heart with your values. And then that allows you to move into those spaces of uncertainty. And for some people, it's really asking yourself, okay, if I'm going back into the workplace and people are uncomfortable just how do we even like have water cooler talk anymore? Like, I don't even know how to be around people and what distance am I gonna be at? And just so much uncertainty, but letting go a little bit of having to like, have it figured out and live a little bit more in in sort of your heart of what you know already, like being, you know, being true to who you are. And ultimately that's what people are attracted to, whether it's your boss or a coworker is being human, because we have a lot more, that's similar than different. So that would be, I guess, my suggestion. Root and expand at the same time.
0: Thank you so much. I keep forgetting I'm doing a podcast interview because I'm so (laughs) captivated and and inspired to hear you talk that I'm just like, oh, now I should speak.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you make it very easy. You have a very charming demeanor and just sort of like a sweet comfort about you. And it sort of reminds me a little bit of what I like about Debbie, you're just like comfortable to be around Ross. So it makes it easy for the guest.
0: Gosh, gosh, thank you so much, Diana. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm really, really grateful. And it's a true privilege to spend some time with you.
1: Thank you for having me and inviting me on the show and um, many blessings to you. And I hope that this reaches the people that need it.
0: Peace, supers, that's it, part two in the bag. Thanks so much to Diana for being such a tremendous guest. You'll find the links to Diana's websites and details on the book over on the show notes at rossmackintosh.co.uk. If you like this episode of the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioural science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, follow, rating or review are also very much appreciated. I love to hear from you, and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at com. On the Twitter, you'll find us at peoplesouppod. On Instagram, at people.soup. And on Facebook, we are at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic, and to Alex Engelberg for his vocals, and to you for listening. Look after yourselves, peace, supers, and bye for now. Wow. Hey.
1: how do you feel? I know I get esoterics. So I hope I wasn't too too out up in the clouds, because I can see no. to like,
0: goodness me, no, not at all. Um, gosh, I can't wait to listen back because it was so packed with goodies.